Christ Community Church is a God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, and Bible-centered body of believers who love God and love people by making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information on us and to learn how to give towards our media ministry, please go to our website at www.christcomchurch.org. That's christcomchurchcom.org. And look for the giving tab at the top of the homepage. Starting off in verse 9, we took a little bit of running start just to give us some context as we were going in uh, to this section. Um, But just that last part, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And we talked about that last week. And then verse 9, and be found in him. So there's three sections to this uh, passage, verses 9, 10, 11, are addressing three different ideas or even doctrines, as we'll find out as we dig into it. And this first one I entitled, Being in Jesus and Being Found in Him. Um, what, a, what a wonderful thought to be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So the idea here of this word found um, is that there's, being, there's a search being made in order to find this thing out. There's some searching that's occurring in order to be found in him. That it, is a, it is a searching aspect to it. In search, um, if a search was done on you, if a search was done on me, would we be found to be in Christ? Who exactly would be doing this searching to know whether we are found in Christ? Would it be man doing this searching or would it be God doing the searching? In 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance as he was looking for the king or on his height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees Not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the the heart. So this searching that's been to be found in him, the only one who gives us, who, who proves that search out is God. And this is Paul's desire to be found in him. I've counted all things lost, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. He's turned away from everything, his privilege, his position, his pedigree, his pride, all the things that he lists out. He has repented from those things. He's turned away from those and turned to Christ in order to know the surpassing worth of Christ, he says. He is not concerned with everything that could be found about him. He's not concerned about whether you could find out that he was from the tribe of Benjamin or whether or not he was a Pharisee. He doesn't, that's not what, that's not what, that's not what's important to Paul. He wants to be found in Christ. That's what matters to him, not his list of accomplishments or his background. In the legal world, you might be found guilty. It's a legal term that means a person has been judged to have been commit, have committed an offense. It is the past tense of the verb to find guilty, 
which means to declare someone guilty of a criminal offense by the verdict of a jury or decision of a judge in a court of law. This is the condition. In fact, this is the condition. This found guilty. This is the condition that we are all in. All mankind is found guilty before the judge of the world, the judge of all. We have all been declared guilty of sin. For all have sinned, it says, and have what? Fallen short of the glory of God. But similarly to being found guilty by proof, by God's searching of our hearts, we can be found in Christ and declared righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. I'll repeat that. Declared righteous because there's a declaration of guilt and this is a declaration of righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ. It says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes or is derived, as the New American Standard says, from the law. The problem with your righteousness, the problem with your righteousness and with my righteousness is that it comes from the law. This is a righteousness that is only as good as your good deed right now or your bad deed later. That's as good as it's going to get. That righteousness that we have, our righteousness, is only as good as the next good deed or the next bad need. It has no foundation. We are the ones who maintain that righteousness, right? It's unstable because you're basing it on your performance. If anyone knew this, Paul certainly did, since he was a Pharisee. Of Pharisees, he said. He says, it's a righteousness of my own. And when, when you think about that, you think about that for a second, you think about your own righteousness. Just stop and think about my righteousness. Just think about that personally. What does that even look like? For those of us who have thought deeply about this, what does my righteousness look like when we all know at the end of the day, it just be, ends up being filthy rags. We realize that my righteousness, I have none For this reason, when you ask someone who lives by their righteousness, this often happens when you're sharing the gospel with someone, you encounter someone who's living by their righteousness. This is what they say. You ask them the question, are you going to heaven? They will typically answer, I hope so, or I don't know. Or they will say, yes, because I am a good person. And their answer, I think, you know, when they say, because I'm a good person, that's like a good day for them. You know, they feel like they're batting a thousand at that moment. Like, I'm, you know, they haven't had a chance to really think about whether they're good or not. And right there at that moment, yeah, because I'm a good person. You know, they start looking around, see some people. And like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a good person in comparison. So I think I'm going to make it to heaven. So they're counting on this righteousness of their own. Or they're not sure. They're having a bad day. Maybe they've, they've stepped on the cat and kicked it or they've had a fight with their wife or maybe they've stolen something recently. I hope so. I don't know. Because the righteousness is of their own. And all of us, at some point, were there as well. No matter what your age, to what degree, we were all counting on this righteousness of our own. In Romans 3.20, it says, For by works of the law, listen, no human will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. 
if you're here and you're thinking, if I do enough good deeds, God's going to let me in the pearly gates. That is incorrect. Because no one is righteous. The law, God's law, was given to us so that we could clearly see, as in a mirror, our sin. And then clearly see our need for the lawgiver. It wasn't given so that we could check them off and think that we were able to keep them. It was given to give us a knowledge of what is right and what is wrong. Of what is sin and what is righteous. But listen, this is the good news. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God. So we have two righteousnesses here being discussed. The righteousness from man or my own righteousness and the righteousness from God. So God's giving out righteousness. Is that a good thing? Amen. He's giving out righteousness. And that depends on faith. Paul is relying and resting in the righteousness from God. He goes, I'm not counting on my own righteousness. I already know what that's worth. I want the surpassing righteousness of God. Listen to Romans 3.21 as we continue in that section in Romans. If you want to be there, Romans 3.21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested or, or revealed apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to God's righteousness, to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. And here's where that, that this famous verse falls in. For there is no distinction in this room between any of us. There is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even the very, very best of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift. It's a gift of God that he's giving. He's giving out that righteousness through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, through the work of salvation that Jesus did, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Listen to that. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is being in Jesus. This is what Paul is talking about. Being found in him. Having the righteousness of Christ. If there's one thing that I love to sing is can contemplate, even as we sang today, to consider the righteousness of Christ. Because I know how holy he is and that God would impart that or impute that to me is amazing. It's mind blowing because I know who I am. None of you know who I am because you judge on the outside like a man. But God, he knows who I am because he sees my heart. And as good as you might think this person is or who anybody in this room is, God knows the wretchedness that he saved me from. Amen. Galatians 2.15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. That's us, the Gentile sinners. There's only a few Jewish brothers and sisters here. So the Gentile sinners, that's the majority of us. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law 
but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have so we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because the works of the law by the works of the law no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ we too were found to be sinners is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I have torn down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with, with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were from the law, then Christ died for no purpose. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Jesus, if righteousness could be, could be achieved through the law, then there was no need for the Lord. But even within the law, we also learn that without the shedding of blood, there is no what? Remission or forgiveness of sin. So we knew there was a picture that was being painted by the Father that would be fulfilled in Christ. So this being in Jesus is what we call a big word that we have for this. Maybe someone can say it. This is called, somebody out there? Justification. Justification. So this justification is an act of God's free grace. This is God's free gift wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. This is what separates those who believe that salvation is in Christ alone by faith alone from those who believe that salvation can be attained by doing good works. Or by doing something to even maintain it. Might even be Jesus plus works. Jesus doesn't need any of your works. He already did all the work. Amen. When Paul. So he's laying out this, this doctrine that we call justification. And really that's what he's capturing in this verse. That is what he's describing in other words that we take and we call justification. God's declaration as the judge that you are righteous in Christ. Why is this big word important to followers of Christ? Why is this a big word? Why is this something that we need to talk about and consider? The first thing is because we have the tendency, like other sins in our life, to return to the law keeping as a means to proving ourselves. And I don't know, I think this is typical. Maybe you can relate to this. But at some point in a Christian's life, as he's growing, as he or she is growing and walking with the Lord, even though they have been saved by God's grace, inevitably, at some point or another, they begin to take up the law again. And in their own strength, they set out to begin to live by the law and begin to trust again that their good works are keeping God happy and that God's satisfied in them because they are doing good works. And I'm not saying that we're not supposed to do the works that God created for us to do beforehand. 
But what I'm saying is we don't rely on those things. But inevitably, because of our own sinful nature, sometimes we take that back up. And so you'll find legalism within the church. You'll find legalism within our lives. And I, and I kind of see that cycle go through people's lives as they're, they're growing in the Lord. You know, and they, they get past that initial zeal and then they want to be holy. They want to live for the Lord. And sometimes they, they grab onto that thing like that's the thing. Like doing these good things is what it's about. And they, they lose sight of the surpassing greatness of Christ. Again, not to say that you're not supposed to live and try and, and pursue the Lord and do and obey. But oftentimes we fall into this place, back into that place of thinking that we're going to keep this law. This becomes idolatry or self-worship because we've taken the focus off Christ. We put the focus on ourselves. You know, we're beginning to worship what we can do and the good things we can do. And self-worship then diminishes who? Who does, it, who does self-worship diminish? It diminishes God. It diminishes Jesus. It begins to diminish him. Instead of exalting Christ, we begin to diminish him. By trusting in our good works or thinking that we're in favor with God because we're doing these things right. So there are things that that's why it's important to know and to understand what justification is. That Jesus paid the price. His righteousness is counted to you as your righteousness that you stand before God right. And God forbid that we would abuse that gift, right? For ourselves. The second point, verse 10, is so we talk about being in Jesus and now being like Jesus. He says in verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share or fellowship in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Being conformed to him in his death, some scriptures read. So last week we were talking about the work of Christ and salvation. We looked a little bit at justification. Now we're looking at being like Jesus, to know him. In order to be like Jesus, you got to know Jesus. You can't be like him if you don't know him. One, entry level. That's very obvious. But do you know him like I know my wife like none of you know her and she knows me like none of you will know me there's intimacy between us our relationship is deeper than any other relationship outside this room or around us we have come to know each other so in order to be like Jesus you have to know him there must be proximity and intimacy of being with Jesus. <clears throat> and this sounds kind of elementary because after all, we were taught, and maybe some of you young, I don't know if, if this song still plays for the kids. You know, Pim and Tells, you'll have to let me know. Does this song, is this still on the, on the, on the song list for children? But we used to sing this song, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so, right? Okay. Do you, can you sing that song? Jesus loves me, this I know. 
For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. What? They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, right? Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. It sounds very quaint, right? It's like written, there's some truth in there. Y'all, let me tell you guys something. The more you know Jesus, the more that song means something to you. The children, they're receiving an entry level. We're teaching them Jesus loves you. But the longer you know him, the more sweeter that simple song becomes. Because they don't really know what it means that they're weak yet. You ask them what they're weak, they're thinking about this. But we know what it means to be weak and to still know and be loved by Jesus. So do you know Jesus? Do you know the love of Jesus better today than when you first believed or first sang that song or first taught your child that song? Some of that knowledge came in the quiet times of study and prayer. And some came in dark times or times of trouble. But however the knowledge came, it's pure treasure of surpassing worth. That I might know him, Paul says, that Paul desires Are we longing to know Jesus more or are we satisfied? Have we reached the fill of knowing Jesus? You you, you good? Everybody's, we're all good. You know, I've achieved my satisfaction in knowing Jesus. I haven't. I hope you haven't. If we think we have come to know him the creator of all things, the Holy One, if we have become satisfied in our knowing Jesus, we are in trouble. That Paul, who wrote the doctrine that we're reading in the scriptures, who wrote that I might know him, Paul, people, that I might know him. I, we, got a, we got a ways to go. Got a ways to go before we know him. And then he says, and the power of his resurrection, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. If you want to turn to 2 Peter verses 1-3, it says, His divine power has granted to us all the things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, through the, through the knowing of him, who called us his, uh, to his own glory and excellence. So did you hear that? His divine power has given to us everything that we need for life and godliness. And how does it get to us? Through the knowledge of Him. So if you've stopped learning, if you've stopped chasing, if you've stopped pursuing to know Jesus, you're going to grow stagnant. And you're not going to be able to have the power to do the things He's calling you to do. Because the power comes through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. So that in all things, He's glorified. Amen? Colossians 1.28 Him we proclaim, 
warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is Paul. He's seeking to want maturity, but he knows where the power comes from. Paul knows what was done, um, that what is done for Jesus has to be empowered by God, by Jesus. He's the one that provides the power. He's the one that supplies our needs. See, in the other, in the reverse that we were talking about earlier, when you're talking about your own righteousness, it's you providing the power, you providing the strength. But this is the flip of that. This is the flip against the whole world, y'all. This is the flip against every religion that's out there. This is the flip that it's not your righteousness, that it's Jesus' righteousness, that it's not your power, that it's his power that comes through knowing him so that in all things God is glorified. Because at any moment, if you get to take any glory for it, his glory is diminished and it will not be. Our dependence on God is something we have need to be reminded of. Need that I need to be reminded of. God in his wisdom knows this and allows us the reminders that come into our lives. How can the power of Christ rest upon us if we are busy removing it in order to display our own strength and power? This, needs, this leads to the next part. Here, here, here come the reminders. This is what Paul's asking for. Paul is asking that I may share or have fellowship in his suffering. Suffering stinks. Suffering is painful. Suffering is difficult. Suffering is smothering. Yet throughout the scripture, time after time, example after example, culminating with Jesus Christ, we see the fellowship with God that comes in suffering. Brother Rob shared a BRP. I had no idea he was going to share that BRP. That king set out to turn his face completely away from God, bring the entire nation into idolatry of sick amount that he would sacrifice his own children. And it's not until he goes into suffering because he thinks everything is going all right. It's not until he's suffering that he's reminded who God is. And that's really a picture of all of us for all have sinned. There is no distinction. And we could read that king and say, man, that king was crazy. He did what? He sacrificed his kids on the altar? He, he lifted up all the high places? <laughs> Those things are written so that we might fear that we would not do the same. To that degree or to any degree. So suffering reminds us who God is. And in Paul saying that I might have fellowship in his sufferings. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for what? 
you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The valley of the shadow of death. Not on the high mountaintop, but down in the valley. For you are with me. That's when the king said, I now know that the God of Israel is God. That's what that king said. Something to that degree. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I read it with Pastor Rob, but that's like light bulb. <laughs> oh, I, I know who God is now. For he heard my cry. For he heard my voice. And he was merciful to me, a sinner. Now I know who God is. Look at what Jesus says about Paul. This is, this is Jesus' words on Paul. Imagine if this is Jesus' words on you. This is Jesus' words on Paul. Acts 9, 15. How about if this was your conversion story? This is Paul's conversion story. This is Jesus' declaration on Paul to Ananias. He says to Ananias, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine. Oh man, that sounds wonderful. He is a chosen instrument of mine. Oh, I want to be an instrument for Jesus to carry my name before the Gentile kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That's Paul's conversion story. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Suffering for the sake of the glory of Christ is impossible. Impossible without the power of God. And so he's asking that I might know the power of his resurrection. That life giving power that raises the dead. That I might have that. So that I can partake in this suffering. Without the power of God, it's impossible. And that is a part of what it teaches us. That suffering teaches us a greater dependence on God, a greater knowing of God, a greater understanding of his power. Have you ever sat down with saints who have been through the valley of the shadow of death? And found that the Lord was faithful and merciful and walked with them in the valley of the shadow of death and comforted them. And they will say, I would not trade it. I would not rewrite the story. Because if I were, I wouldn't know God the way I know God. So in those sufferings, and Paul's no fool, he knows this, and he is one who is going to suffer He from his call. But he's not running from the suffering. He's like, that I might know Jesus in his sufferings, have fellowship, have commonality in his suffering. And it says, becoming like him in his death. And I was thinking about this, becoming or being conformed inwardly, into the image of Christ. 
And that's what God's plan is for every single believer in this room. Every believer, Romans 8, 29, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn, Jesus would be the firstborn among many brothers. It is true, we are called the children of God. Those who have believed in Jesus, we are called the family of God. We are called the sons and daughters of God. And those sons and daughters he for, that he foreknew, he predestined that we would be conformed, that we would be changed inwardly and eventually outwardly into the image of Christ, his son. This conformity is what God has saved us for. Not just for Paul, not just for the really spiritual. This is for those he foreknew, not just for the one that he foreknew, not just for Paul, but for every single one of us. And he wants to become like Jesus in his death. And so I want to ask you guys a question. And I'll ask you the question, drink some water, and you can give me some answers. How was Christ in his death? If you had to choose one word that would describe Think about it one second. Jesus heading to Calvary in the garden, going to Calvary, enduring that. What would be a word that you would use? One word to describe Jesus. Grace said obedient. Humility. Humility, humble, submissive. Meek, willing, oh, obedient. Thank you, Diego. Yes, yes. Conquer, like that. Silent. Victim of injustice. So I wrote down some words, humble, lowly, surrendered, obedient, God glorifying, yielded. And I loved all the words that you shared because we're all looking at this and seeing all of these things about the Lord, which some of them fall into being more or less the same. And Paul saying, I want to become like him in his death. Humble, lowly, surrendered, obedient. How do we do that without God's power? We can't, we've already learned we can't do it on our own. It's going to take God's power. By God's power, we are first raised from spiritual death and later from physical death. And in the meantime, between being raised from our spiritual death to being raised from our physical death, we need to live and we, and we can't live this life with, with Jesus without the power that God supplies and without being conformed by that power to the likeness of Christ. That's what he has for us in the intermediate between your conversion and your glorification is this thing we call sanctification. That's the time between A and B where we're being conformed into the likeness of Christ. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God, 
and are enabled more and more to die to sin and to live unto righteousness. And this is kind of an ebb and flow. It's not always a straight line of sanctification. And that's just, I'm saying that because to tell you any different would be to put false expectation on you. Sometimes we're obeying better and living to be conformed and taking on that humility and obedience better than others and in different situations. We might be really humble at work, but we might not be very humble at home. We might be really humble in church, but we might not be really humble on the street, in traffic, in Miami and Broward County. Brother Curtis and I were talking about the traffic around here. So there's the, the sanctification process is, is what we're talking about, this, this being like Jesus and becoming like Jesus. We are in Christ, hallelujah, before God. We are righteous because of what Christ did by faith, believing in that, not trusting in ourselves. And then this life is a life that is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Not by our strength, that's back falling back into the first trap, but by the power of God through the knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ. Lastly, being with Jesus. Verse 11, being with Jesus. And he says that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Of all the verses, this is actually the hardest one to, tra- to, to break down. Thankfully, I was glad to hear commentators say that because when I, every time I read it, I'd be like, <laughs> kind of wrestling with that thing. And because um, it, sounds, it sounds funny in a sense, right? It sounds a certain way up to verse 10 and it says that by any means possible. Well, we know that the means, right, is, is Christ. But that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. But if you'd go to Philippians 1, verse 20. I'm sure I have the right verse. Real quick, everybody, look over here real quick. Can everybody raise their, their hands up real quick? Just like this, yeah. Uh, shake them around. All right, cool. Just want to make sure everybody's awake still, because we're coming to the end, but I know. <laughs> Let me get the blood flowing a little bit. Okay. Okay, verse 20. It is my eager expectation and hope that it will not be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He He says that whether by life or death, by whatever means, whether... It's I'm going to be dead or I'm going to be alive. I want to be at the resurrection. I desire that. That I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And this word attain is actually used two times. The Greek word is translated attain twice here and in one other place. And most of the time it's translated the word come. To come or to arrive. So you could say that I may come to the resurrection from the dead. So 
however I'm going to get there, whether he's coming right now and I'm being changed, or whether I'm going to get there after I die, I want to get there. I want to be with Jesus. This little blurb from Ligonier says, we do not know our route to the resurrection. Perhaps we will die as martyrs or simply of natural causes, leaving our bodies to rest in the grave until the last day, even as our spirits dwell in heaven until then. Maybe Christ will return while we are still alive and we will not experience the physical death at all. Either way, by, many, by whatever means possible, if we trust in Jesus, we will be resurrected. And even now, he share, we share in Christ's resurrection power. And by his spirit, we are able to resist temptation. To be with Christ means that we will truly be like him in the end. With bodies that are like his. He is the forerunner to the first fruit. So that is, that's, the reason, that's, that's the reason for the desire for the resurrection. Is like, I want to be done with this flesh. That comes at this point. And now I can even know him better and be with him. First Corinthians 15, 20, verses 20 through 23 say, but in fact, Christ has, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall, shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ, the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And so Paul saying, I want to be with Jesus. Whatever, however I got to get there, I want to be with him. I want to be at the resurrection. Romans 8.30 says, And those who he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. And we're, gonna, we're getting close to wrapping up. But I wanted to read this passage together. So that we could understand what is Paul saying? What's the big deal with wanting to make it to the resurrection? First Corinthians 15, verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come until life, come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps, or wheat of some other grain. You know, it's, it's one of the blessings of life that my wife likes plants and that I've gotten more into gardening. It's, it's been a blessing to me because I, I don't think it's, it's any mistake that God planted a garden. He put the man in the garden to work it so that we could learn in that garden. So if you're not gardening yet, don't worry, you're going to get old enough. You'll start gardening. <laughs> You'll slow down enough to do some gardening. But... The seeds are in a living plant and then they die and then they got to dry and be dead. And the thing that comes from the seed doesn't look nothing like the seed. It's a new body, a glorious body. 
It's not a dead thing. It's a new living, beautiful thing. And that's what he's saying. But God gives it a body he has chosen to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one of a kind. The glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for the stars differ from star in glory. So it is, verse 42, with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. Paul is done with the natural. He wants the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. That's all of us in this room. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Hallelujah. Yes. This is why he says, I want to be with Jesus. This aspect of being with Jesus is what we call glorification. All true believers will experience the glorification of their souls and bodies at the same time. There is no preference of one saint over another. Though scripture teaches that glorification is the final application of the redemption of Christ, there is much that we do not know about what we will be like in our glorified bodies. However, scripture clearly reveals that believers will be free from sin, amen, and misery, amen, and will be placed in a state in which they are unable to sin in glory for all eternity. Those who are in Christ here, we have been saved because we have been justified. We are being sanctified and we will be glorified. What is of greater value than knowing Jesus? The rest is rubbish. The rest you can't take with you. The rest will burn. 
Christ Community Church is a God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, and Bible-centered body of believers who love God and love people by making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information on us and to learn how to give towards our media ministry, please go to our website at www.christcomchurch.org. That's christcomchurch.org. And look for the Giving tab at the top of the homepage. 